John chapter 11 tells us the story of Lazarus being raised from the dead. I'm going to, um, I don't think I'm going to take time to read the whole story, but uh, let me start in verse 1 and we'll pick out some verses and, uh, and summarize the rest of the story for the sake of time. It said, Now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister sent unto him, unto Jesus, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Mary and her sister and Lazarus. And when he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. After that, he said to his disciples, let us go into Judea again. And his disciples said, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone you, and are you going back there again? And then Jesus says uh, that he's going to walk in the day and so forth. Um, Then verse 11, it really didn't have anything to do, verses 9 and 10 doesn't have anything to do with the story, uh, that for our purposes at least. But verse 11, he said, These things said he, and after that he said unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. His disciples didn't understand. They said, Lord, if he's asleep, then he's doing well. In other words, he must be getting better if he's asleep. Howbeit Jesus spake of his death, but they thought that he had spoken of taking of rest. Then Jesus said unto them plainly, Lazarus died. King James says is dead, but if you look at the, look at the original Greek, it said Lazarus died. And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. Then Thomas, you know, blessed Thomas, the guy that always believes, he's always got the word of encouragement, says unto his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. There's one in every crowd, isn't there? Thomas is known as the encourager, I guess. Then when Jesus came, he found that he had been laying in the grave four days already. Now Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, about 15 furlongs, uh, 15 furlongs off. And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary. I said I wasn't going to read the whole thing. I guess I am. And many of the Jews came to Mary and Martha to comfort them concerning their brother. Now the Jews are being spoken of are the religious leaders. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. And Jesus said unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. I guess she didn't understand what he was talking about either. Now, it seems kind of strange. I'm I'm not sure exactly where Martha was coming from because Martha just said, verse 22, even though he's dead, I know God will give you whatever you ask for. And Jesus said, your brother will rise again. Now she starts talking about the resurrection. Maybe she's asking for clarification. I really don't know for sure. There's no way to tell from the language. But maybe she's asking for clarification. Do you mean the resurrection, rising again at the resurrection? Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? She said unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. And when she had so said, she went her way and called Mary, her sister, secretly, saying, The Master is come and calleth for thee. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came unto him. Now Jesus was not yet come into the town, but was in that place where Martha met him. Then the Jews, here's the religious leaders, the Jews then which were with her in the house and comforted her, I'm sure they were a big help, when they saw Mary that she rose up hastily and went out, followed her, saying she goes under the grave to weep there. 
Can't miss out on any of the crying. We've got to stick with her. Then when Mary was come to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Said the same thing Martha said. Then Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping which came with her. Now, folks, you need to understand that uh, the Jews, the religious leaders, are professional grievers. That's one of the things that the Jews would do with people that they were acquainted with is they would hire people or in, uh, enlist, uh, enlist people at least. Sometimes they were paid, other times they were not, according to, to uh, uh, the history that we have of the Jewish people. Uh, but in le- at least they would enlist people to come and cry because the more people you had crying at a funeral, the more important and the more loved and the more respected you were. And so this was... This was um, well, can we charitably say it was staged, at least to some degree? Then the, when Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled and said, Where have you laid him? And they said unto him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, Behold how he loved him. Now, you know the rest of the story, how he, Jesus says, Take away the stone. And Martha says, Whoa, wait a minute. This resurrection from the dead stuff is fine, but he's been dead in there four days. He's a, he stinks by now. Martha was always concerned about how things appeared, I guess. And Jesus didn't pay any attention to that. He stands there and speaks forth, uh, speaks for Lazarus to come forth, and Lazarus is raised from the dead. Now, there's a lot of things we could talk about with the raising of the dead. There's a lot of things about this story that fascinates me, but a couple of things that we read over that you may not have paid a lot of attention to because we went over it kind of quickly. But I want you to notice a couple of scriptures. Notice the one, first of all, in verse 3, when Mary and Martha first send word to Jesus, they said, sent word unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. Now, what do you understand that their desire is? Well, both of them, when Jesus gets there, says, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. So they don't have any question about Jesus' ability to heal, do they? Martha winds up saying specifically that she believes he's the Christ, the son of the living God. You can't get any better than that. I mean, that's who Jesus was. That's who Jesus showed himself to be. That's who the prophecies of the Old Testament identified him as. She believes everything that you're supposed to believe about Jesus, she's right there in with him. So it's clear to me that they're trying to get Jesus to come because they realize Lazarus is at the point of death. Now, Jesus apparently knows what's going on, and, and we don't have any record or, or any, any reason to think that he knew what was going on in every situation. A lot of situations we see happen in the Scripture and in Jesus' ministry where he didn't know what was going on. One that we always use is Mark chapter 5, where the woman with the issue of blood came in the press behind and touched his garment. Jesus didn't know who she was. He stopped and said, who touched my clothes? Well, why didn't Jesus, if Jesus knew everything like so much of the church thinks he did, why didn't Jesus stop and turn around and say, where is that woman that touched me? She's wearing such and such clothes. Where is she? Well, he didn't know who she was. He stopped to look around about to see her. The disciples answered him when he said, who touched my clothes? And the disciples basically said, everybody that can touch you is touching you. How are we supposed to find one person that touched you? What do you mean? Who touched you? But Jesus looked around about to see her that had done this thing, Mark chapter 5 says. Jesus is looking to see someone that touched him in a different way than everybody else did because she touched him in faith. It activated the power of God that went into, went out of him and into her, according to what the Scripture says. So Jesus didn't know everything about everything before it happened. The Bible says that Jesus laid aside his heavenly power and glory and came to the earth as a man. Well, you don't know everything before it happens, do you? 
If that scripture is true that Jesus ministered as a man here on the earth, then that means he was subject to the same limitations that you are, but with the help of the Holy Ghost, just like we have the help of the Holy Ghost. I have no doubt that he had a greater measure of the Holy Ghost than you or I have. The Bible said he had the Spirit without measure, and therefore he was more sensitive to the things of the Spirit of God. And God, because of the ministry that he had given him here on the earth, there were things that he did know that you and I might not know in the same situation, because I'm not the Messiah. How about you? So there were things that he had. There was a help of the Holy Ghost that he would have, or a greater measure of the help of the Holy Ghost. Maybe that's a better way to say it. A greater measure of the help of the Holy Ghost than what you or I might have. But he still had the same Holy Ghost helping him. But he didn't know everything. But there were times where he knew ahead of time what was going to happen. This seems to be one of those times. Because as soon as Jesus hears that Lazarus is sick, he says in verse 4, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now, is he saying Lazarus isn't going to die? No, he clearly knows that Lazarus is going to die. He clearly identifies two days later before he's heard any other information about Lazarus. He tells the disciples that Lazarus died. So what is he doing? He's saying this sickness that will bring his physical death will not stand. We get in such a hurry about things. We we set deadlines for God. We think, oh, oh, my goodness, you know, such and such is going to be done by such and such a time because if it's not, it's too late. Well, folks, it's never too late for God. Any of you ever run up on financial deadlines? And the bank says it's got to be by Friday or else. You know what? They'll take the money Monday. Every time. We think it's got to be done by a certain time. We think, according to our natural understanding, this is the way it's got to be. It's never too late for God. It's never too critical. Sickness is never too critical. The point of death is not the end of anything as far as God's power is concerned. It says in verse 5, Now Jesus loved Mary and her sister, or Martha, excuse me, and her sister, that's Mary, and Lazarus. Now it goes further and says... um, Over in, uh, what is it, verse 36, after the Jews see that Jesus is weeping over Lazarus, he's groaning in the spirit and weeping over Lazarus. Let's stop and talk about that for a minute. Why is he crying? What's Jesus weeping for? Is he crying because Lazarus is dead? Well, he already knows that he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He's already seen and gotten some kind of information from the Holy Ghost about how this thing's going to end up. So what's he crying for? Why isn't he standing there laughing? At the other people that are crying. What is he crying about? Well, where it says Jesus groaned in the spirit. When he saw Mary and Martha and and everybody that's there in the the tomb, he groaned in the spirit. That's the, the way that the Holy Spirit is moving or impressing upon him to give him this supernatural power. I say supernatural power because it was not in his power In and of himself. It was not inherent power in Jesus because Jesus is operating as a man, not as the Son of God. If Jesus had been here on the earth operating as the Son of God, healing because he was the Son of God, number one, he wouldn't have had to be anointed of the Holy Ghost by John in the Jordan River. If Jesus is able to do healing miracles and signs and wonders and so forth, in and of himself, because he's the Son of God, why has the Holy Ghost got to come on Why, when he's 30 years of age, baptized by John in the Jordan River, why does the Holy Spirit descend on him in bodily shape as a dove and land on him and stay on him? Who can anoint God? I 
I want to let that sink in. Do you understand what I'm asking? If Jesus is here on the earth operating as the Son of God, now he is the Son of God. Don't misunderstand me. He is and was the Son of God. But being the Son of God here on the earth is not what we think being the Son of God means. We think Jesus being the Son of God means he had all the power of God in heaven, and he didn't. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2 that he laid aside his heavenly power and glory and came to the earth as a man. That's why he had to be anointed of the Holy Ghost. That's why he had to be anointed by the Holy Spirit, just like a man here on the earth today has to be anointed of the Holy Spirit if supernatural or miraculous things are going to take place. Because man has no miraculous power in and of himself, including Jesus when he was here on the earth. Jesus even said so. He said, the things that I do, the signs, the wonders, the works that I do, I don't do those of myself. They're of the Father. In me, the Father in me, he doeth the works. Now, folks, i gotta, I got to tell you, if you can understand just that basic principle, you're light years ahead of 99% of the church. And it'll help you understand why things work the way that they work. It'll help you understand why it was necessary for faith to be exercised for the power of God to operate. If Jesus is the Son of God, what do we need faith for? If Jesus, now let me qualify that, I said that quickly, and some people will take that out of context. If Jesus was ministering healing here on the earth as the Son of God with unlimited power, then why would it take faith? Who cares if you believe Jesus has unlimited power? And see, that's the way people want to receive healing today. They want to receive healing today from God's unlimited power. No responsibility on my part. I don't want to have to believe. I just want God to pour out his unlimited power and heal me of whatever sickness has got a hold of my body. And that's not the way it works. Faith was required in Jesus' day because he was a man anointed of the Holy Ghost. Now who has been given healing power in the church on the earth today? Men and women anointed of the Holy Ghost. So it takes the same faith today that it took in Jesus' day because man in and of himself has no healing or miraculous power. Is that clear? Everybody understand that? I'll go through it again as many times as necessary for people to get that because that is a key that you've got to understand if you're going to receive your healing. God doesn't require anything too hard from you, but he does require faith because no man has healing power inherently of himself. Healing power is of God and God alone. Well, since Jesus came to the earth and he emptied himself of his heavenly power and glory, he emptied himself of what he had before he was born into the earth as a man. Then what's he going to heal with? The anointing of the Holy Ghost that came upon him when John baptized him in the Jordan River. And that anointing of the Holy Ghost, that help of the Holy Ghost, is apparently showing Jesus what the end result of this thing is going to be. Why is he doing that? I believe he's doing that to show Jesus, don't go to, to where Lazarus is. Stay where you are for a few days. Now, we don't know what happened in those two days that Jesus stayed there, but you have to assume that he continued the work of God where he was. You know, one of the hardest things I've ever had is not praying. Uh, one of the hardest things I've ever done is when you hear news from people in the church not to pray too quickly. And usually that's what people want. People want you to pray in a hurry. Uh, an emergency call will come. Pastor Mike, this happened or that happened. Pray. Pray now. Pray now. Pray now. Do you realize a prayer prayed in fear won't do any good? Do you realize if you pray too quick because you're afraid that if you don't pray at this moment, you might be too late, won't do any good? As a matter of fact, you can do more harm 
than you do good by praying in fear? Sometimes the hardest thing to do is to stop and wait, calm yourself down, and to check on the inside. Okay, Lord, what do we do here? Sometimes the important thing is to go to the Word and remind yourself of what the Bible says about whatever situation is that has arisen. Sometimes it's an important thing to ask the Lord, pray for a few minutes, and find out. You don't have to put it off for days. I'm not suggesting that. But one of the hardest lessons for me to ever learn is not to pray too quick. I've found that out even with people coming to church. A lot of times people that want you to pray for their healing aren't ready to receive their healing. And so if you pray too quickly in their situation, you're only going to add to their problem because they're going to expect you to get something from God for them. And when they don't get it, then you become part of the problem rather than part of the answer. I've had people say after I prayed for them, I'd ask them, is it done? They'd check the body and say, nope, nothing happened. Thought you had it. I guess you don't. Well, folks, if people are wondering whether or not I've got it, I can let them know up front. I don't got it. But the word's true. And if we exercise faith in the word, then the answer comes. Second thing is when Jesus weeps, Jesus isn't crying because he's afraid of anything. He's being moved by the Spirit of God for a miraculous action. It takes special faith to raise the dead. And so here's the Holy Ghost moving on Jesus to give him the power to equip him with what he needs to raise Lazarus from the dead. And notice it says when the Jews saw him weeping, they see this groaning in the spirit. Apparently it had some effect on his body. It wasn't some unseen thing. It had a visible result on Jesus' flesh. They see him crying. They see him weeping. Apparently it looks to them like he's crying because Lazarus is dead. And so they said, look how he loved Lazarus. Folks, what I want you to see here is in this thing, uh, what John brings out is that Jesus loved Lazarus, not that Lazarus loved Jesus. His sister sent word to Jesus, the one you love is sick, not the one that loves you. We try to get things from God because we love him. Oh, Lord, I love you so much. I prayed for people's healing and you can't shut them up. In some cases, you'll lay hands on them and they'll start bawling and crying. Oh, Jesus, I love you so much. Jesus, I love you so much. You can't receive like that. That's not a basis to receive. Loving God, loving Jesus is a great thing, but it's not love that brings about your healing. It's faith. So you get somebody focusing on loving Jesus or loving God. What they're really saying without verbalizing it, what they're really saying is, God, I love you so much you owe me this. And he doesn't. It doesn't come because God owes anybody anything. It comes by simple faith. So this identifies that Jesus loved Lazarus. John speaks of four different times in four different places in his gospel. He calls himself the disciple that Jesus loved. Now at the time John writes this, it's in the, it's in the mid nineties, 94, 93, 94 AD, somewhere around there. At the time John writes this, all the other apostles are dead. And John identifies himself as the number one primo, one that Jesus loves. Good thing Peter's gone. Can you imagine this letter getting out and Peter saying, what in the world are you doing calling yourself the one Jesus loved? I was with Jesus everywhere you were. I'm not sure, but I'm guessing that that would have tested Peter's love walk. Now, don't get me wrong. The Holy Spirit inspired John to do it. The question is why? 
John identifies himself. And I have no doubt that the other disciples could have identified themselves in much the same way. At least Peter and James, James the brother of John, could have identified themselves in the same way as the one that Jesus loved. Because John was in the same case that Peter and John was, uh, Peter and James were. You can't find any time that John did something that Peter and James weren't right there with them. They were the, the inner circle, the three that Jesus picked to do certain things that the rest of them didn't do. So at least Peter and James could have identified themselves equally as the disciples that Jesus loved. But here's the thing that gets me. John shows himself as the recipient of Jesus' love. He's not saying, I loved him more than Peter or James or Matthew or Timothy, or any of the others. He's not saying anything about himself. He's saying, I'm the one Jesus loved. And folks, i got to tell you something. This is hard for me, but I'm working on it. I'm working on being in a place where I look at, I'm the one that Jesus loves. That's tough for me. It's tough for me. And to be perfectly frank with you, The only thing that the scripture identifies as why this happened for Lazarus, or at least one of the possibilities for why this happened for Lazarus, is because of Jesus' love for him. Turn with me over to Matthew, or um, what's his name? Mark chapter 1. Turn with me to Mark chapter 1. Let me show you something else about this. Now, don't think for a minute that I'm trying to, to, to put people in competition. When I say that I'm working on, on looking at God and the things of God as the one that Jesus loves, I don't mean love more than you. I don't mean love more than somebody else. I just mean the one that Jesus loves. I would hope that you could develop the same thing that I'm working on, and that is to come to the place where God loves you, in your estimation, more than anybody else. Now, I don't care if it's really more than anybody else. I would expect from what the Bible says that it's the same as he loves everybody else. But as far as I'm concerned, I want it to be, I want to look at it from the standpoint that God loves me so much he'll do anything for me. Because that's really what the love of God tries to portray in the Scripture. And that's tough for me. I don't know about you, but that's tough for me. Mark chapter 1. Let's start reading in verse 40. It says, And there came a leper unto him, beseeching him, and kneeling down to him, and saying unto him, If you will, you can make me clean. Now, folks, I would submit to you that this is the position of 95% or more, maybe 99% of the body of Christ in the earth today. It's hard to find a Christian that doesn't believe that God can't heal. Most everybody will say, well, yeah, of course, with all, with God, all things are possible. So yeah, God could heal if he wanted to. And that's where the arguments are. The arguments in the body of Christ over the healing power of God is not over whether or not God can heal. The question is, will he? Does he want to heal everybody? And people will come up with their own experiences and their own ideas. And well, I knew this person, they loved God. They were a dear saint of God and they died of cancer. And in their mind, that proves that God doesn't want to heal everybody because if he wanted to heal everybody, he certainly would have loved them because they loved him enough. Again, it goes back to the works thing. The idea of most of the church is that if you love God enough, you serve him enough, you do enough good things, then God will reward you with healing power. But when you find somebody that has served God and loved God with all of their heart and don't receive healing, then the automatic assumption by so many in the body of Christ is then that proves that God doesn't want to heal everybody. But that goes back to our original statement. God doesn't heal based on your works. 
God doesn't heal based on your love for him. God heals based on one and only one thing. There's only one thing that Jesus ever required of people in his earthly ministry, which shows us how healing works. If Jesus can't be the example of the healing ministry of God, then what is? The only thing he ever required of anybody was faith. Folks, I don't know where everybody else is in faith. I know I've heard lots of people say, yeah, dear so-and-so, they died of cancer and they were believing God. Well, I don't know if they were or not. That's not up to me to judge. I'm not going to look at everybody's life and say, okay, you believe, but you don't. That's not up to me. It's not up to anybody else either. And even though that's what a lot of people do, and they say, well, this dear saint of God, they died of sickness, they died of cancer, but they were trusting God. Well, what does that mean? So many times I've heard people say they were trusting God. Their prayer is, Lord, if it's your will, heal me. Well, that's not trusting God. That may meet the religious criteria for what a lot of people think is trusting God, but that doesn't meet the Bible criteria for faith. Faith believes something is done because of God's word that speaks it or says it. Is this making any sense? So it's not up to me to judge somebody else. Well, if we're not going to judge other people's experience, then what are we going to live by? I don't know about you, but what I'm going to live by is what the Bible says, because heaven and earth will pass away, but his word will never fail. So don't tell me about somebody else's experience, what they did or didn't get. I'm going to live by what the Bible says. And the Bible says all things are possible is just the same thing that it says, the same measure that it says all things are possible with God, says all things are possible to him that believes. That would have to include healing then, wouldn't it? Therefore, healing is possible to them that believe. Matthew chapter, or where are we? Mark chapter 1, verse 40. There came a leper to him, beseeching him and kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. We know you can. We know you have the power to to do it. They must have heard of this leper must have heard about Jesus healing other people. That would be the only thing that would cause him to believe that Jesus could heal the sick. So he says, we believe you can heal. We just don't know if you will. And that's where most of the church world is. And what does Jesus do? If this is not a God-given, Holy Ghost-inspired example, so that the modern-day church can get an answer to their to the questions, then I don't know what is. Because if God's the same, Jesus is the same today as he was back then, and he is. If God never changes, and he doesn't, then that means whatever Jesus' answer was back in that day is going to be his answer in this day. His answers won't change, because he doesn't change. Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. So what Jesus said back then in his earthly ministry has got to be the answer for today for somebody with the same question. We know you can heal God, but we don't know if you will. What did Jesus answer that statement? Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him and said unto him, I will be thou clean. You know what this is saying? This is saying, number one, that Jesus answers the question, I will. I will. And then that's where the church will step in and say, well, yeah, okay, God willed for him to be healed. But that doesn't mean he's going to, it's his will for me or everybody else to be healed. Well, now we've got a problem. Because if that's true, then part of the Bible's a lie. Because the Bible says that God is no respecter of persons. That means what he wills for one person is the same thing he wills for another person. Now, we're not talking about God's plan for somebody's life. Because God's plan for your life is a different plan than he has for my life. But the things that belong to us, according to his power, are the same for you as they are for me. 
So if he wanted something according to his power, if he wanted something different for this leper than he wants for me, then we've got some pages to rip out of the Bible. Are you with me? So when Jesus says, I will be thou clean, it's got to mean the same I will for me as it meant I will for him. Or else God liked him better or did something better for him than he'll do for me. Yet the Bible says, as we've already stated, the Bible says God never changes. The Bible says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Bible says God is no respecter of persons. So what was true for him has got to be true for me. Because God never changes. But notice why or what was associated with this, associated with Jesus stretching forth his hand, touching him, and saying, I will be thou clean. Immediately the leper was cleansed. Notice what the, the, the characteristic or the cause of Jesus answering the way that he did was. It said Jesus was moved with compassion. What does that mean? That means just like it says that Lazarus was the, was the one that Jesus loved, just like John said he was the disciple that Jesus loved, it's saying that Jesus loved this guy in the same way. It says that healing is a result of God's love. Still takes faith. This guy can't get his answer until he gets the, the, this guy can't get his healing until he gets the answer to his question. He says, I believe you can, but I'm not sure you will. Jesus immediately moved with compassion, stretched forth his hand, touched him and said, I will be thou clean. All he needs is the answer, will you? And Jesus said, I will. And he received instantly. Why? Because Jesus loved him. Are you aware that the Bible says over in Hebrews, I think it's Hebrews chapter 2, that we don't have a high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities? In other words, Jesus, our high priest, is touched with the feelings of your infirmities. Do you know what that means? That means that Jesus is moved with compassion towards you in whatever your situation is, just like he was moved with compassion toward the leper. Because he's no respecter of persons. He was moved with compassion. And he healed. He was moved with compassion because he healed. Turn with me over to, to uh, Ephesians chapter 3. I've been praying about some things. I've been uh, prompted by the Holy Ghost to pray about some things um, over the last, no, I don't know. I guess I started about uh, six weeks ago, something like that maybe. And there are some things that the Lord began to, to impress upon me, actually, um, well, I guess the, I guess the most accurate way to say it. I caught myself praying some things. Uh, I'd been praying in tongues for a while and then I heard myself pray out some things in English. And it kind of surprised me when I heard myself say these things in English because I had gotten to the place where I was in the spirit and, uh, and I, I really wasn't thinking about saying anything. I, I was, my mind was quiet. I wasn't thinking about anything at all. And I'm, uh, just speaking in other tongues, praying in other tongues. And all of a sudden I hear myself speaking in English. These are not words that I was forming or thinking about saying. They just came out of my mouth or they came from my spirit up out of my mouth. And so I heard myself pray these things. And when I heard myself pray these things, I thought, wow, I've never prayed that before. And it had to do with the ministry that God has planned. It had to do with some things in the future and, and, uh, and so forth. And, uh, and so I heard myself pray this stuff. And ever since then, and I've, I've learned this, I learned this from Brother Hagin, when, when that happens, whenever you hear yourself pray things by the Holy Ghost from your spirit, then take hold of that and start praying those things out. 
And so I've been praying them ever since. And, uh, and it's, a, it's, uh, it's an interesting thing because God dealt with me, oh, two years ago about the Holy Ghost leading me. You know, it's an interesting thing. The, the Bible says as many as are led. Romans 8, 14 says as many as are led by the Holy Spirit, they are the sons of God. Verse 16 tells you he leads you by the inward witness. That stuff I know. I've known that for 30 years. Learned that from Brother Hagen. But then, um, um, there were some things that, uh, uh, that God really began to deal with me about what Jesus said about the work of the Holy Ghost. He said, how be it when he, the spirit of truth has come, he'll guide you into all truth. Well, most translations say he'll guide you into all reality. It dawned on me, and, and I should have seen this a lot longer, a lot sooner than I did, but it dawned on me that the Holy Ghost leading you into all reality or guiding you into all reality means he'll guide you into the reality of whatever it is you need. For example, he'll guide you into the reality of healing. Well, what does that mean? Well, for somebody that doesn't know what the Bible says about healing, that means the Holy Ghost would teach him what the Bible says about healing. Now, that doesn't just come independent of you or apart from you, but it means as you read, as you study, as you feed on the Word of God, the Holy Ghost will reveal things to you. Well, I realize that worked together in, in, in every area of life. That means the Holy Ghost is going to guide me into God's plan for me as far as ministry is concerned. That means the Holy Ghost is going to guide me where, where raising my kids are, going to, are concerned. That means the Holy Ghost is going to guide me where business is concerned. He's going to guide you into the reality of life. Not just the reality of the Word. He is the teacher and He'll guide you into the reality of the Word. But He's going to guide you into the reality of anything in every area of life. If you trust Him. Well, I never really had counted on that. I never really had relied on that. But, but I took hold of that. And as a result, I've been looking for the Holy Ghost to guide me. I've been looking for the Holy Ghost to lead me into things that I don't know. I've been looking for the Holy Ghost to help me in things, help me understand better things that I do know. And, and just about anything, I'm looking now for the Holy Ghost to guide me into reality. Again, reality of healing, reality of, of everything God has for us. And uh, so I began to pray some things about six weeks ago. Uh, prayed these things out of my heart, out of my spirit, and I've been looking for the Holy Ghost to, to lead me into it because the things that I said, the things that I heard myself say, um, well, how do I describe them? I, I, they're none of your business. So I'm not going to tell you. But, um, um, but the best way I know to describe them is, um, well, I never would have asked God for this. If it hadn't come up from the inside of me, I never would have asked God for, for these things. There were three things specifically, and there's no way in the world that I would have ever asked God for this because the way they came up out of my heart is related to other things that I know of that I never would have. I'm not going to tell you. I promise I'm not going to tell you, but I don't know how to say it. Um, They were things related to other people. I heard myself praying for something that somebody else had that's long since gone. I heard myself praying for something that somebody else had long since gone. And I heard myself praying for the third thing that somebody else had. All three of these people have gone home to be with the Lord. Well, I've never prayed for something somebody else had. I've always looked for God to give me whatever he wanted me to have. I've never looked for God to give me something somebody else had. I I didn't even know you're supposed to do that. I'm not convinced you are. If it hadn't been something the Holy Ghost had had brought up out of my heart, I never would have done that. Have I made that point? You understand what I mean? Well, that tells me this is not me then, because I wouldn't have done that. So I've been praying it ever since. And, man, I've been a hammering down on it because I know, I recognize that it's something that God has. Well, how are you going to get there? I don't even know what somebody else had. 
I'm doing what I can to read up on the, the, the individuals and the situations. But there's not a whole lot of information. So how are you going to get there? I'm looking for the Holy Ghost to guide me into the reality of it. And the more I prayed, um, well, the things that I'm praying had, the things I've been praying had to do with power. Different areas, different aspects of power in Revelation, but they had to do with power. And the more that I've been praying about the power, the more God's been talking to me, the more the Holy Ghost has been guiding me in the love of God. I'm thinking, well, wait a minute, I, I don't get that. The Holy Spirit, you're giving me this prayer, these prayers, these three things specifically relating to power, but then every time I start praying for it, you start leading me toward the love of God. I mean, I know the love of God's important. I knew the love of God was important before I got this from the Holy Ghost. But I don't get it. If the love of God is where you're leading me, why didn't you give me the things to pray about love? And he took me over to Ephesians chapter 3. Now, folks, I've preached these prayers. You've heard me preach these prayers for years. But I'm seeing them in a different way now. I'm so glad that I'm, I haven't gotten to the place where I can't learn from the Word. It's always new. Jesus said the words that I speak unto you, they're spirit and their life. There's always more to get. So he said, Paul's praying. We'll just start in verse 14. It's, it's not, uh, it doesn't contain the whole thing, but we'll start in verse 14. Paul said, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and on earth is named. There's one family. Part of the family is in heaven. Part of the family is here on the earth. Of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Now, that's what I want. That's right in line with the things that the Holy Ghost prompted me to pray. To be strengthened with might by His Spirit in my inner man. Because those three things are not going to happen unless they happen by the Holy Ghost on the inside of me. Nothing you need. The healing power of God is not going to work in you or for you unless you're strengthened with might, the power of the Holy Spirit, on the inside of you. Healing doesn't come from the outside. It comes from the inside. So many people are looking for some healing power to come from the outside, and that's not where it comes. It comes from the inside. That's where the Holy Ghost lives. That's where the power of God dwells. So he, Paul prayed that we would be strengthened with might by his Spirit in our inner man, that Christ would dwell in our hearts by faith. That Christ would dwell in our hearts by faith. Now, folks, i got to tell you, I thought I had that part down pretty well. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ. Now, folks, again, I'll have to say it again. I know the love of God's important. The love of God's the most important thing there is. But I've always looked at the love of God as the foundation that everything else is built on. Faith works by love. Love's important. Love is critical. You can't get faith to work without the love of God as a foundation. But that's always the way I've looked at it. I've looked at the love of God as a foundation. You live according to the love of God. You ask yourself in every situation, what would love do? I learned that from Brother Hagin. I saw this man, I saw people say things against him that made me want to commit murder. He'd walk in love. He'd laugh at us. I'd, I'd I'd want to, you know... Write something, say something. Let's answer this. Let's do something. He'd laugh. He'd say, oh, Mike, you'll grow up one day. I'm still hoping that to be true. 
But in every case, in every situation, I'd see him live according to what he preached to us. He'd say, always ask yourself, what would love do? Well, love wouldn't answer. Love wouldn't respond to criticism. So he never did. So this is praying that Christ would dwell in our heart by faith, by being strengthened with the Holy Ghost on the inside, that Christ may dwell in our heart by faith, that we being rooted and grounded in love, there's the foundation, may be able to comprehend, understand. He wants everybody to understand this, not a select few. That we would able to be understand, that we would understand what is the length and depth and breadth and height. And that we would know that the word know means to determine by experience. And that we would experience the love of Christ which passes knowledge. That we would experience the love of Christ which passes knowledge. Now, folks, I would submit to you that the love of Christ is what the Bible's talking about when it says Lazarus was the one that Jesus loved. The love of Christ is that which John is talking about when he says, I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. The love of Christ is that which moved Jesus to, with compassion to heal the leper in Mark chapter 1. Along with many other people. We could take many other examples in Jesus' ministry where it says he was moved with compassion. It says he was moved with compassion with individuals. It says he was moved with compassion over the multitude. And always provided some healing or miraculous work. That's the same thing. And that we would know the love of Christ. Which passes knowledge. In other words, he's talking about a spiritual revelation of the love of Christ. A spiritual revelation. An eyes of your spirit opened experience regarding the love of Christ. Because it passes knowledge. It passes the natural mind. Do you know the love of God like that? I can't honestly say I do. I've had glimpses of it. I've seen little bits here and there. But I've never really focused on it like that. But I am totally focused on it now. That you would know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. Now notice the last phrase of verse 19. That you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now folks, I've preached that the love of God is the fullness of God. I've preached that. preached that for years. But let me tell you what this is really saying. Let me tell you the way I'm seeing it now at least. You judge it for yourself. If you're going to be filled with the healing power of God, it's going to be because you know the love of Christ. Not a mental knowing, but a spiritual eyes opened experience with the love of Jesus. Because that's part of the fullness of God, isn't it? Wouldn't the healing power of God be part of his fullness? The power that I I prayed out by the Holy Ghost, guess where that's resident in knowing the love of Christ? Not a mental thing, not something that I know or have mental knowledge of, Mental or physical knowledge of, but something that's a spiritual knowledge, a spiritual revelation. That we might be filled with all the fullness of God. Filled with all the fullness of God. Filled with all the fullness of God. There is a um, um, part of my study, research, whatever, I don't know what you want to call it. But I've been reading a lot about uh, some of these guys in the healing revival back in the 40s and 50s. Brother Hagin talked a lot about these guys. Brother Hagin was part of the healing revival. He was uh, um, certainly not one of the most well-known people uh, that during that period of time or during that move of God. God used him more as a teacher in those days than he did anything else. And a lot of the, a, a huge number of people 
retained their healing because of Brother Hagin's teaching ministry during uh, that nine-year period of time. But I've been reading after some of the other guys that uh, God used. There's one guy in particular that God used. Um, he was a, he was a loner. I mean, he was a, uh, he'd get around people. He would get so nervous around people that uh, that he couldn't even string a sentence together. And so he uh, chose a career that was not people-oriented. He was a, a forest ranger. And it was while he was working as a forest ranger that God met him out in the woods and, and talked to him about getting into the ministry and, and then wound up using him in a great way. But this guy would get on the platform. There's still some videos, not very many, but there's a couple of videos together, uh, you know, that they put together of this guy in the latter years of the healing revival. And God would use him in a real, real unusual way. He would, um, now this part's not so unusual. This is, uh, this has happened with a lot of other people. But he would, um, they said Smith Wigglesworth was this way too. Wigglesworth was an uneducated man. He had uh, uh, tra- uh, trained as a plumber and uh, didn't have any formal education. And so as a result, he wasn't a good speaker. But he'd get up on the platform and, and he'd start, you know, his opening comments and stuff like that. And, and people would say it was just embarrassing. I mean, he had the, had the education of a second grader. And here's this big, tall, strapping guy and ramrod straight type posture and and uh and and he just it was embarrassing people just feel bad for him and then the anointing of the holy ghost would come on him and and people would just their mouths would drop open that the same guy could be used of god and and make such a transformation right there in front of everybody's eyes well that's the way that this other guy was only uh his uh, his thing was not so much the anointing of the holy ghost coming on him he's uh, his uh, ministry his healing ministry was because of the presence of an angel and that was what the Lord told him. He said, I'll send my angel to equip you and to help you in, in these things. So this guy would get up on the platform and there'd be thousands, tens of thousands of people in these tent meetings or, or wherever they'd be able to ha- hold these meetings. And this guy would get up on the platform and, and he'd be so nervous and he'd be just shuffling around and, and, and that kind of stuff. And all of a sudden he'd look over and he'd say, okay, there he is. And then there was this boldness that would come on him. And God would start using him in some tremendous, tremendous ways. But he didn't have anything until the angel showed up. That's where his anointing came from. His anointing came in a little different way than it did Wigglesworth or some others. But that's where the anointing showed up for him. Now, in this meeting, and, and by the time these, uh, uh, some of these videos were made, his, uh, his fame was just incredible. People would come from everywhere. Educated people. Doctors, lawyers, bankers, I mean, the, the upper crust of society as well as the, the common person. I mean, everybody heard about this guy, and it was such an unusual thing that it, it drew a lot of uh, spectators along with people that were really looking for help from God. And so this guy would uh, would stand up there, and, and somebody would come up on the platform. They'd always set the, the, the stage the same way, where people could come up on the platform, and, and the whole congregation could see. And big crowd like that, you'd have to have a pretty high platform for everybody to be able to to uh, to see what was going on so he'd come up on the platform they'd get rid of the, the podium and stuff so he could stand out here and he'd he'd kind of shuffle his feet a little bit and he'd say now uh sister i i suppose that we've never met is that right and she'd say yeah that's that's right we've never met and he said uh and he'd, he'd kind of shuffle around a little bit and he'd say and i i i suppose that uh, uh that it's true that uh, that we don't know each other in any way is that right just little mousy voice and, and I mean it, it's when he, until the, until the Holy Ghost really started using him, it was, it was just, you just felt bad for the guy watching. I mean even knowing what's coming on the video, you just feel bad watching the guy. 
And then finally he'd say, now, uh, have you talked to anybody here at the, at this meeting to give them any information about yourself? She'd say, no, no, I haven't talked to anybody. Nobody's asked you any questions, any personal questions about your life or, or anything like that. No, no. He'd go through this, you know, five minutes of this stuff trying to, trying to dissuade a lot of the, the criticism and the rumors that were going around about, well, the, the uh, workers at the meeting are getting this information and feeding the information to him and stuff like that. And then he'd start, to, he'd start, uh, the Holy Ghost would come on him or the angel would step up or whatever it was. And he'd say, uh, now, now I see that, that such and such is, is your situation. He might tell him what the, the doctor had diagnosed. And she'd say, yeah, that's right. And then he'd say, uh, well, I'm ahead of myself. He's, before any of these things had happened, he'd say, well, now, since it's true, I suppose, that, that I don't know you and you haven't talked to anybody, then anything that I tell you would have to be by the Holy Ghost. Is that right? She'd say, yeah. And he'd say, so then if, if I'm able to tell you things about yourself by the Holy Ghost, then you'd know that that's God's love for you being shown in front of everybody here. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. And then he'd go through that in about five, six different ways. So if I tell you, if the Holy Ghost to reveal something and so forth, and the whole thing was about him trying to solidify in the minds of the crowd, not the, not the individual only, but the crowd, the audience, that if God is revealing something, then it has to be God's love in action. And finally, she'd, you know, he'd finally get that nailed down. So then he'd say, now I see that the doctors told you such and such. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. He just in the doctor's office Friday. And I see that, that, and he'd tell them all kinds of things. He'd tell them their middle names. He'd tell them their addresses. He'd tell them all kinds of things. Now, he described it at another time. He described it as if he was standing here talking to somebody and there was a fence between him and the person. And then all of a sudden, his spirit would lift up over the fence and he could see. And once he saw over the fence, he could see everything about our lives. Now, if they were Christians and there was something in the way, if there was a sin or there was something in the way that was blocking their, their healing, he'd pull the, the microphone away and whisper into their ears and tell them, now, this is what the Lord says that you need to correct or you need to straighten up or whatever the case might be. And once they agreed to that, then the healing power of God would come on them and heal them of whatever it was. And folks, there'd be people walking out of wheelchairs. There'd be people getting off of deathbeds. There'd be people in all kinds of things, people that uh, that are still alive, Today that witnessed some of those things. I'm thinking of one guy that uh, uh, this guy went over to Germany at one point in time toward the latter years of his ministry. And uh, for two, it's either two or three years in a row. I'm not sure which it was, but either two or three, three years in a row, this uh, this fella, uh, his father would sponsor the meetings. And so he's a guy about my age, but his dad was uh, was one of the ones that would sponsor the meetings over in Germany. And he said that he still remembers, as a kid, he still remembers that when this guy would come in for a week's worth of meetings, it would take him two or three tractor trailer trucks, the flatbed trucks, to haul off the crutches and the wheelchairs and the deathbeds and all that other stuff to get rid of all the stuff where people had been healed. Can I ask you a question? Why would God want that for that day and not our day? If we're closer to the end than they were, then wouldn't God still be interested in showing people his power and his goodness today? Well, then what stops that from happening? I think a lot of times we do. Now, if the Bible's true, in my opinion, if the Bible's true about the Latter-day Church being having a greater glory than the early days of the church, then we've got some great things to look forward to. 
Because that would mean that we can expect greater results than some of the things that we know about. We can expect greater results than all of the things that we have record of in history. Now back to this guy. He would do this person after person after person. He had, these meetings would start like 7 o'clock in the evening. There were a lot of nights. He worked himself almost to death. Because there were a lot of nights that he would still be praying for the sick at 2.33 in the morning. And nobody's leaving. You didn't have to talk people into staying in place. Because the power of God was in operation. Everybody wanted to see what was happening. But the crowds were so large that even staying to 2 or 3 in the morning, he couldn't get to everybody. And so he began, the Lord really dealt with him, He's at least according to his own testimony. He said that the Lord dealt with him. And, and it, there would be all kinds of things that would happen. He'd be dealing with somebody up here on the platform, and he'd look down, there'd be a stretcher case down there, and he said, now the Lord just told me, the Lord's standing beside you, and said, blah, 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 get up, you're well. And he'd get up, and he'd be well. But he'd come to the end of the evening. He'd come to the end of, sometimes it was the end of the line or toward the end of the line that they had with people coming up. Other times it would just be the end of his strength. And he would say, he would he learned, it didn't start his ministry out this way, but he said the Lord dealt with him about this. He said, I thought, to begin with, I thought that God wanted me to heal everybody by this gift. And that's where he almost worked himself to death. But he said, I came to understand that the reason that the Holy Ghost had given me, the reason that the Lord had given me this gift, where the Holy Ghost would work this way through me, was not just to heal everybody individually in this manner, but to raise the level of faith in the congregation so that after people saw the love of God being demonstrated to these individuals, they could recognize that the love of God was there for them too and they could get healed in the audience. When he started doing that, he started having healings by the tens of thousands. Because he convinced people of the love of God for them. You remember Dr. Hicks, Roy Hicks? He came, uh, uh, he was somebody that I met through Brother Hagin's ministry. He was a good friend of Brother Hagin's. They were contemporaries and older gentlemen, uh, about the same age. And, uh, and we had him um, uh, to the church several times. And I had an opportunity to spend some time with him once we moved out here because he lived out in Southern California. And um, uh, Dr. Hicks told me something one time. He said, you know, he said, uh, I asked him about Sister McPherson, Amy Simple McPherson. Amy Simple McPherson was uh, a lady that God used uh, probably back in the 20s and 30s. Uh, well, no, probably 30s and 40s, I guess it would be, were the, uh, the highlight of her ministry. And uh, uh the result of her ministry and all the things that happened is is what they have now is the Foursquare Gospel, the denomination that's headquartered out of uh, Los Angeles, Pasadena, somewhere up there, wherever they are. And uh, they've got a Bible school up there and other Bible schools around the country. And the platform, the the Foursquare, their, their logo literally is four different things uh, representing the power of God, the Word of God, and so forth. And, uh, and so I asked him about Sister McPherson because I've never, I've got a, an old tape that was a wax recording that they put on uh, uh, cassette tape that I've heard a little bit of hers, but it's not really enough to really tell what was going on. So there's, there's really no uh, good recorded material or, or anything like that to, to get some information for a young guy like myself uh, to get information about her ministry. So I asked Dr. Hicks about her. I said, uh, tell me about uh, Dr. Mc, uh, Sister McPherson. 
And he said this, and Dr. Duffield, Guy P. Duffield, told me the same thing. They're both four-square ministers. They both told me the same thing, with the same exact words, without anybody prompting, without any, not in the same time, same situation, not being around each other. They both told me the same thing. They said there was something unique about Sister McPherson. He said, they both said this. They said, she could make you fall in love with Jesus like nobody else I've ever heard. Now, boy, if you got to have something written on your tombstone, that would be a good thing to have, wouldn't it? She made us fall in love with Jesus. We're coming into a day where the things of God aren't just going to be stories that we've heard told about the past, but where the power of God will be in evidence. There'll be a lot of criticism. There'll be a lot of people that say it's fake. There'll be a lot of people that'll say when, when God will reveal the secrets of men's hearts. A lot of people will say that it's put up. A lot of people will say it's fabricated. It's fraudulent. But those that will receive it will see a healing ministry that will be greater than the healing revival. And it'll be based on the love of God, I believe. It'll be based on people coming to the understanding that God's love is being poured out. That's the thing that I come away from with all the things that I've read, with all the people and all the stories and all the books and all the things that I've read about the healing revival. And I've read positive and negative things. I've read not just the puff pieces and, and you know, people that are trying to promote other people's ministry, but I've read the criticism, the critical books about them as well. And the thing that I come away with from the whole of the healing revival was this. And folks, let me tell you something. It started out of nothing. It started overnight out of nothing. All of a sudden, people were popping up in different places around the country with healing ministries that nobody had ever heard of before. And just as quick as it started, it stopped. It was for a specific purpose for a specific period of time. But the thing that I've gotten out of reading everything, pro and con, is that it caused people to realize that God loved them enough to do something special on their behalf. And folks, I've got to tell you, that's what happened in Mark chapter 1. That's what happened in John chapter 11. That's what these stories are all about. They're about God's love manifested toward the individuals. The Bible says we have a high priest that, can, that is easily touched with the feelings of our infirmities. I wonder if that includes sickness today. It included sickness in Jesus' day. It included sickness in the healing revival days. I wonder if that includes sickness today. I wonder if Jesus is still touched with the feeling of our infirmities. I wonder if he still loves us and has compassion for us enough today to heal our bodies like he did in times past. What do you think? I don't believe there's anything that God wants greater than for you to know how much he loves you. I don't think there's any greater desire in the heart of God than the desire for you to know how much he loves you. John 3.16 is all about the love of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Why did God give Jesus? To show you he loved you. Why does God give healing power? To show you he loves you. Why does God redeem your life from destruction? To show you that he loves you. Why is God willing to do 
miraculous things in Bible days and in days that we've heard stories of and can read stories about to show that he loves you. Is his love any less today than it was then? My Bible says, and and you know this, uh, I, I trust that you know this. We've said it numerous times, but maybe you don't. There is nothing that the Bible says more again and again and again. There's nothing that the Bible says again, uh, multiple times more than his mercy endures forever. That's compassion. Compassion and mercy are the same thing. His mercy endures forever. His compassion, his love towards you, the same love that caused Jesus to immediately stretch out his hands and heal the leper. His mercy endures forever. That means today, doesn't it? Forever has to include today. His mercy endures forever. His mercy endures forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the truth that is revealed therein. Thank you, Father, for the love of God that's that's shed abroad in our hearts. Thank you that we are the disciples that Jesus loved. Thank you that you're moved with compassion in our situations just like you were in Bible days. Just like you were in the days that we tell the stories about. Father, let the stories be told of our day. Let the stories of your love, let the stories of your power, let the stories of your healing mercy be told of our day. In Jesus' name. The glory of the Lord's here. It's hanging in the room as a mist. It's the same glory cloud that it was spoken of in Solomon's temple. It's the presence of the Lord. If you need healing, just reach your hands up and stretch your hands out into that glory cloud. It's Jesus that's here. We receive, Lord. We receive in Jesus' name. We receive our healing by the power of the living God because of your love. You've manifested your presence in this place. We receive. We receive. We receive. In Jesus' name. Oh, the glory is here. Yes, the glory is here. I can sense His mighty presence in the very atmosphere. So whatever you may need, 
Reach out and receive and say it's mine. I have it now. Oh, the glory is here. Yes, the glory is here. I can sense his mighty presence in the very atmosphere for whatever you may need reach out and receive and say it's mine i have it now Bless you, Lord Jesus. Bless you, Lord Jesus. Well, say it. Healing is mine. I have it now. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Hard to end a service with the presence of God here like this. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Blessed be the name of Jesus. This is one of those services like Brother Hagen told about. And Beth and I were there. There was a lady that had a tube in her nose. Everybody thought it was a breathing tube, but it was a, a, it was a feeding tube. She had a scarf around her neck. We didn't know until after the fact. But apparently there was some kind of uh, operation that she was having in the doctors accidentally slit her esophagus and she had had um, 12 or 13 something like that operations since then afterwards she took the scarf down and her her whole neck was a mass of new scars they got into a place where they couldn't do anything about it so they had to run this tube up through her nose and into her down through her esophagus so she could eat intravenously we were in a healing school service just like this and brother hagan recognized the presence of God, the glory cloud come in the room. And he said, whatever you need, reach out and take hold of it. You don't need somebody to lay hands on you. Just reach out and take hold of it. Well, she did. She just reached out in faith, took hold of it. We didn't see it happen until after the fact. Well, we didn't see it happen. We found out what happened after the fact. But she reached up and started pulling that feeding tube out of her nose, went across the street to the Mexican restaurant and ate two Mexican dinners. She hadn't had a solid bite of food in 10 months. If you eat two Mexican dinners, you've got to be healed. <laughs> Hot, spicy food like that without having had a bite of solid food in 10 months. Folks, healing power of God is real. It's not in some man's hands. 
is not held by man in any way whatsoever. It's the Spirit of God that brings the healing power of God to bear. That's who is here tonight. Amen? Amen. Well, say it with me one more time. Healing is mine. I have it now. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.